Well, good morning. I, too, just want to welcome each one here this morning. As Ben mentioned, I'd first of all like to read a message that uh, Jewel sent to my wife yesterday. It says, Dear church family, thank you so much for all you're doing for our family. Thank you for the meals, the food that shows up for lunches, the dresses that were sewn for the girls, the canning, the freezing, and outside work that was done, and all the other things being done to the house. Words fail when it comes to describing how we feel. When I saw the men walk into the house yesterday morning to start on demolition, I couldn't help but think, I couldn't help but think that had that had he been capable, Matt would be doing the same thing for any one of those guys too. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your care and support for us. It's hard to be on the receiving end of so much. I pray God's blessing. I pray God is blessing you all richly. We love you, Matt, Jewel, Terika, Diane, Mason, and Malia. It's just a reminder of just the, the power and the blessing of being a part of a church, being a part of, of this family. For a message this morning, I'd like to... I'd like to uh, focus on a few phrases here in the passage that Manny read. Uh, the phrase comes up first in verse 12 and then also in verse, verse 20 and maybe a few other times. But the phrase is the fear of the Lord. I guess in verse 20 it says, fear the Lord thy God. And in verse, sorry, verse 12, and then also in verse 20, it says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. So I had to ask myself the question, what is this fear of God? What is the fear of the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Why is it important? Why did Moses see it, in, why did Moses see it important for the people, to, the people of Israel to fear the Lord their God? Is it still important for us today to fear God? I also want to read several verses from Psalm 34. There's a lot of verses throughout the Psalms and throughout Proverbs that talk about the fear of the Lord, and we'll get into some more of those a little later on, but I just want to take the time here to read a good portion of Psalm 34. It says, I will bless the Lord at all time. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me, delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his trouble. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And verse 9 says, O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And then verse 11, he says, Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I believe David here, as he penned this psalm, he he was, he was praising God. He was realizing what God had done for him. And then he realizes that if we have a fear of God, if we honor God, if we have, I believe, a proper fear of God, there's a lot of blessing. 
And then he says, Come, children, and hearken, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And he just goes on there to list some more things that God had done for him, what God does if we come before him. Verse 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Verse 19, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, this is what we would call the early church. It says, Then had, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were multiplied. So we see that the church there, it says, was walking in the fear of the Lord. And then in Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells the church there that they are to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. There again, I, I believe he's referring to the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. As we think of the word, the word fear, probably we think more of being scared or being afraid of something. As we look at as we look at the world around us, the things that happen around us, I believe there's a lot of things that cause fear, a lot of things that cause people to be frightened. We see different political situations, there's wars, there's there's storms, there's there's just a lot of things that that really are, are out of our control, are out of what, there's not much we can do about it. And, and there's things like that that cause, that cause fear. But I believe, I believe the a fear of God, the fear of the Lord is, is a little different from that. I believe having a proper fear of God is, is an important part of the Christian life. And many times, many times today, the, the popular, what we say, teaching or the popular thought pattern is that, that God is, you know, God is mercy, God is love. He just, he loves us, it loves us, it doesn't matter what. And those are very powerful attributes of God. God is love, God is very merciful, but God is also just and God is also righteous. And God hates sin, God hates wrong. And I believe it's because of that that we need to fear God as well. Not that we need to be scared of him, but I believe if we do wrong, if we live in sin, I believe there's, there is a fear that, that, should, that needs to come with that. In Deuteronomy 10, the, the passage that we just read here, Moses tells the people that in verse 15, he tells them that, you know, it's, it's, their, it's their responsibility. He tells them that only the Lord had delight in your fathers. God chose you. God chose you to love. God chose to love you first. He says he chose, I'll just read verse 15 again. Only the Lord had delight in thy fathers to love them. And he chose their seed after them even you above all people, as it is this day. And he goes on to instruct them further. He says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord God 
For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not person nor taketh reward. Just given the idea that God has the ultimate power, the ultimate control, just to, just to do what he wants. It says he regardeth not persons, he taketh not reward, but what God chooses, that's the way it is. And God, as I said, is, is righteous, God is holy, and God cannot tolerate sin. We also have the verses in the New Testament that said we love him because he first loved us. It's because of God's love for us that I believe we then in return love him. As I think of God's power and God's might and his ability to just do really anything, I, I saw an article after the recent hurricane that uh, came through here. I don't know what you think of when you think of the Mississippi River, but that's often referred to as just a big, powerful river, a lot of, a lot of water just flowing out into the, into the gulf there. But they, they said during that storm, as that storm came in and the storm surge came in, the river actually reversed direction. It flowed the opposite direction for several hours as that storm pounded, pounded the shores there and just pushed south or pushed north. It just, the river actually went the opposite direction. And as I think of the, just the, the power behind that, you know, it's something that man that man just can't do. It's, it's just impossible. Man can, they can build big dams, they can, you know, kind of slow the rivers down or stop them, but to actually push it in the opposite direction, I believe is just a, just a powerful example of, of God's might and what he can do. I had to think of when the children of Israel walked through the Red Sea. You know, something like that probably happened then. The water piled up on the one side or maybe even flowed the opposite direction for a while but you know we still serve that same God today and he is a God that I believe deserves our reverence and our fear the dictionary definition of the word fear the first one is a distressing emotion caused by impending danger evil or pain the second one was concern or anxiety and then the third one was reverential awe, especially toward God. And there was a fourth one that said to be warned or to be worried or afraid. I believe fearing the Lord is often defined as, as reverence or awe toward God. But I believe it should also, as, as Paul said there in Philippians 2, I believe it should also cause a fear and trembling. And even, even, as, even as God's children, I believe as we, we can't wrap our minds around who God is and his, just his power. I believe if we sin, it should cause a fear and a trembling. But I believe even just, even just stopping and thinking about God's greatness, that can cause a fear and a trembling as well. I had to think of, of Moses as he was there on the mountain when God, when God told Moses that he would pass before him and present himself to him. But he told Moses, you cannot see my face. So as, as God passed by there, it tells us that Moses was back in the rock there and, 
and God, God placed his hand in front of him as he walked by, and he was just able to see his, his backside. And even after that, when he came down off the mountain and, and stood in front of the, the rest of the Israelites there, they had to cover his face. They had to cover Moses' face. It was so bright. Just from being in that presence of God, it was so bright that they couldn't even look at Moses himself. They couldn't look at Moses just because of how close he had been to God. And that, that to me is just, I just can't quite grasp, I guess, how, how powerful this God is. And I believe it's because of this that, that we, we respect God, we reverence God. I believe a proper fear of the Lord includes, it does include reverence and awe. It includes being afraid to offend God in any way. We realize God hates sin. God is holy. God is perfect. So to offend God in any way will cause a disconnect and should cause fear in our lives. I just want to read several verses from Hebrews. Several verses in Hebrews chapter 10 that talk about the, the thing of, what do we say, offending God or, or sinning and, and the separation that that causes. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27. It says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Verse 27, But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. It goes on to say that he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be brought, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So just some very sobering verses here about about not honoring God or reverencing God for who he is, for what he has done. If we count the blood of Christ as nothing or as an unholy thing, or if we despise it, it says how much sore punishment and fire indignation shall we receive for that? And then verse 30 and 31 of Hebrews chapter 10, it says, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, there's many, there's many uh, gods that people serve. As we look through the Bible, as we read through the Bible, there was, there was several that stood out quite a bit. There was, there was Baal and there was quite a few others. And even, even today, there's, there's people that worship. There's cults. There's different tribes of people that worship different things, and they worship idols, and they, they fear the spirit world. You know, if they, if they make a mistake or if they don't sacrifice just right, something bad will happen. But it tells us here that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This God, that, this God that we serve is the living God. He is the only living God. He is the only God. 
And I believe it's because of it's because of that that he he deserves and he asks for our reverence and our trust in him. Also in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 28 and 29 it says wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. In verse 29 it says for our God is a consuming fire. Just again bringing out the the point that God is here it calls him a consuming fire. In chapter 10 it called him the the living God. I believe just making a point that God is powerful. God deserves our fear. He deserves our respect. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So according to, I believe it was Solomon that wrote Ecclesiastes, he says to fear God is the whole duty of man. We're also told that the first commandment is to love, or the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And as we look at the list there in, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, in verse 12, he says, What doth the Lord require of thee? He says, But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his way, to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul. So these are the things that, that God requires of his people. These are, this is what God wants to see from us as his people. So we might ask the question, but, you know, why... Why fear the Lord? And I believe, according to Ecclesiastes here, it is, it is our duty. Because of, what he has done, because of what he has done, he says it is the whole duty of man. And God requires it. So we think about who Solomon was, all his, his wealth, his possessions, his power. You know, he really had anything at his, at his call. When, Anything he needed, anything he wanted, it was right there. And yet at the end of his life, as he goes, as you read through Ecclesiastes and all the, the negative, kind of the negativity coming through there, his conclusion is, his conclusion is to fear God. And he calls it the duty of man. Just several more verses there from Hebrews chapter 12, a little earlier in the chapter. We read a lot in the, in the Old Testament about the fear of the Lord, and we'll read several verses from Proverbs in a bit. But I believe even, I believe even the New Testament has, has quite a few things to say about this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 It says, But ye are come unto the Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in, which are written in heaven, 
and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of, the, of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Verse 25, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, those things which cannot be shaken may remain. As you read through that, it, it, it sounds a little confusing, but I, I believe what he's bringing out there is that God is in heaven. God has a plan. If we don't accept what he speaks from heaven, if we don't accept what we have here in his word, there is no escape. These things that we see, he says he will shake heaven and earth. Yet once more will he shake heaven and earth. And only those things which cannot be shaken will remain. I believe we would probably all agree on the things that cannot be shaken. Obviously, the things that cannot be shaken is it's God's word. And if we live our lives according to God's word, I believe we also, we also will be able to stand. We will, we will be among those things which cannot be shaken. And then the verses that we read before, in verse 28 and 29 there in Hebrews 12, it says, we Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Just the, the idea there again of serving God acceptably. You know, there's many people that say they're Christians. There's many people that say, yes, I, I believe in God. I, I, I'm a Christian. I, I trust in God. But what does it mean to serve God acceptably? To serve him with reverence and godly fear? I'm not sure if I totally have the answer to some of those questions, but... I believe it just simply means to study his word, to hear what he has, what he says in his word, and to follow it in, in true obedience. The Bible is, is full of promises to those who fear the Lord. The Bible is full of promises to those who put their trust in God. That, that phrase, the fear of the Lord, is found, I believe, 15 times in, in Proverbs. And I'm just going to read a few of those verses. Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So as, as, as we fear God, it says it's the beginning of knowledge. It's where our knowledge starts. And Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. And then a verse in Psalm 34. I just want to read verses 9 and 10 again. It says, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, 
for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. So just the promises of God's provisions, the way that God will provide, the way that God will care for those who fear him and who trust in him. We read the verse in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, where it says that the, the church was walking in the fear of the Lord and it was, the church was multiplied. I believe it was something that the people they were reaching out to, the people around them, it was something powerful that, that just drew people in as they saw them walking in the fear of the Lord and being directed by the, by the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord is, is the basis for perfecting holiness and finding God's promises. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So I had to ask, I came upon the question as well. So do all, does everyone have a fear of God? Does everyone fear the Lord? You know, I believe there's some people that when there's maybe a catastrophe or there's an impending, some impending evil upon them or impending storm or, or trial is, you know, people just kind of call upon God. They just cry out to God. Maybe they never really prayed before, but when something bad is happening, it's, it's kind of a last resort for some people. And I had to think of that again as yesterday was the, the 20th anniversary of, of 9-11. And I was, a, I was young and in school when that happened. I still remember being in the classroom there when we got the news about this. And It, it triggered some fear in me, just not knowing what's happening. But I also remember just the, in the weeks after that, and we went with, I remember with our church, we went up and we were singing on the streets of the city several weeks after that. And just the way that everybody was, was asking for God's blessing. You know, it was this God bless America and America bless God. Just a lot of things about God. Is, is that the proper fear of the Lord when something bad happens and suddenly we focus on God and we, you know, we want God to bless us, we want God's blessing just because, just because this bad thing happened? I believe, God, I believe God wants us to fear Him, to trust in Him in the good times as well. I believe for many people... For many people that day, it was probably too late to call upon God. I believe we need to be ready at all times. We need to be trusting in God. We need to be living in His will so that we can weather some of those storms and stand strong. Romans chapter 3 tells us that It tells us that there's that all men are sinners and that there's some people that just absolutely refuse refuse to accept God. Romans chapter 3 verse 9 it says what then are we better than they? No in no wise for we have 
before proved both Jew and Gentile that all are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know what things soever the law saith. It saith to them who are under the law, but every mouth, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for the law, by the law is the knowledge of sin. So I believe he makes the point clear here that everybody is in need of God. There is no one that is righteous on their own. There are those that completely reject and refuse to follow God's call. But God does call us. God does... God does draw people unto himself. And it is at that, I believe it's at that time as God calls, maybe, maybe there's those here this morning that have not made that commitment. You know, God will, God will use, maybe it's your parents or maybe it's school teachers. Maybe it's his spirit that just prompts you to, to a fear of God, to a proper fear of God. I believe, I believe there's many people that have been drawn to God through his creation, just seeing God's power in nature and seeing what God has done, that that has drawn people to God. But then it also tells us in Romans chapter 1 that there's people that, even because even seeing all those things, they refuse. And it says that they worshipped the creation more than the, more than the creator. In Jeremiah 32, verses 39 and 40, it says, And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, that they shall not depart from me. I believe it's just an example of what God wants of his people says that he will put his fear in their hearts. And he makes that everlasting covenant with, with the children of Israel, and I believe that covenant is, is still true today. But if he puts that fear in our hearts, let's not depart from it. I believe it's important that we continue to, to grow, to increase in our fear of God and our trust in him. The instruction to the, the king of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 19. This is talking about God's law. It says, And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. You know, I believe it's still important for us today to, to heed that direction says he shall read therein all the days of his life. 
We have God's word here in front of us this morning. We can read it freely. We all have probably several Bibles in our houses. Do we read it every day? Do we read his instruction every day? And as we do that, does it, does it generate a greater fear of God? Psalm 46. I just want to read a few verses in Psalm 46. It tells us that verse 9 it says he maketh wars to cease he maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth he breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder he burneth the chariot in the fire just talking about some great things that God can do and then in verse 10 he says be still and know that I am God I will be exalted among the heathen I will be exalted in the earth the Lord of hosts is with us the God of Jacob is our refuge so just again I believe Having that, having time alone with God, to just be still and listen to God. Study his word and take time to hear what God, take time to hear what God is, is saying. And then I believe it's also important to teach it to our children. Psalm 34, 11 again says, Come ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And the prayer in Psalm 86, 11, just a prayer to God, says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. In just the next few minutes here, I just want to talk a little bit yet about maybe some things that hinder our fear of God sometimes or our trust in God. I believe Peter is an example of that when he denied Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. I believe it's even true for us today sometimes. How often do we allow what man might think or what, what we think men might think of us because we're Christians or because we trust in God, because of maybe how we look or because of the things that we do that that might cause people to, to start asking us questions. We see this example of, from Peter here. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 69. It says, Now Peter sat without in the palace. This was after Jesus was, after Jesus was arrested and was going to trial. He says, He sat without, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. Verse 71, And he was gone out into the porch, and a maid saw him, and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by, and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bewrayeth thee. Tells us in verse 74, He began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. So here we see, we see Peter. You could say Peter here feared man. He was afraid of what might happen to him if he was associated with being one of Jesus' followers. But I'm really, really blessed and encouraged by the, we say the turnaround that we see in Peter's life. We go into into Acts, Acts chapter two. 
Well, they're in, back up a little bit, they're in Matthew 26. It tells us that after Peter heard that rooster crow, he remembered what Jesus said, and he went out and he wept bitterly. I don't know what else he all did there, but I'm sure he was... It tells us he wept bitterly, and I, I'm sure he wished he could just talk to Jesus and, and ask him for his forgiveness. But as we look at Acts chapter 2, and we see the way Peter overcame his fear of man, and I believe he had a proper fear of God, it tells us in verse 14 that Peter, standing up with the eleven, he lifted up his voice, and he said unto them, this is... This is the, a big crowd in the, in the city there. It says, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. And then he goes on to preach a powerful sermon there about who Jesus is and, and how, they had, how they had wronged him, how it was wrong for them to, to crucify him, how Jesus rose again, how God raised him up. And it's just, just Peter's boldness there. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter anymore what these men think of him. He was just, he was boldly preaching. He now, I believe, had a proper fear of God, which took away his fear of man. Verse, in chapter 3 and verse 12, we again have Peter standing up and answering the people, Ye men of Israel, you know, why are you so... Why don't you understand this? And once again, he, he preaches there in the temple and probably received quite a bit of opposition. As we look at Peter's life, the way Peter died, the things that he endured for Jesus, it's just a powerful, a powerful difference between the fearing man versus the fear of God. Proverbs 29, verse 5 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. I believe when we live in fear of what people think of us, we live paralyzed. When we fear God above all else, obedience becomes easier, decisions become more clear, and life is lived with a purpose. Shall we kneel for prayer?